Be Rad podcast is brought to you by MoFo, male optimization formula with organs to boost testosterone. Brad's macadamia masterpiece, mind-blowing nut butter blend, now offered on Amazon. Chili technology, temperature-controlled mattress systems for a good night's sleep. InsideTracker.com, offering blood, DNA, and fitness tracking data all in one place. And Organifi, whole food organic superfood supplements and drink blends. And please visit the shopping page at bradkearns.com for my personal selection of favorite products for health, fitness, and peak performance with great discounts for listeners. Here we go with the show. Emotions have an energetic signature. Emotions vibrate at a certain level. And one of the highest vibrating emotions is love. It's the highest. The reason why desire becomes a fear is that you think you need something to be whole, or you think you need something to be happy, or you think you need something to be grateful for. Imagine all of this wide net, this this incredibly broad net capturing all kinds of stimulus, and you just unplug it for a little while. Let's talk about nootropics. These are supplements designed to improve cognitive function, memory, and creativity. And I'm taking three products from a company called New Optimal, N-U-Optimal. The products are Metafocus, which promotes flow state and improves processing speed and mental clarity. It contains ingredients like phenylalanine, B12, ginkgo biloba. I'm taking Metamemory, which is good for memory retention, verbal fluency, reduced oxidative stress. Very important for the brain. This product has things like lion's mane, pine bark, and bacopa. And I'm taking Metadrive for motivation, stress resilience. It's got a little boost of caffeine in there, ashwagandha, rhodiola. They're wonderful products with a lot of scientific detail and easy to understand information on their website. So you get the big picture of what these products are all about, not just stuffing pills down your face, but how to do the stack as they call it strategically. You get a 16 page booklet that'll guide you to optimal use when you purchase. And guess what? 60 day money back guarantee and 30% discount from me. Listen, I'm not a coffee guy. I'm not a drug guy, but I'm always looking for any type of natural edge I can get, especially for cognition. So guess what? Let's avoid that sugary junk food. Let's get enough sleep. Take a power nap when you need one and consider trying some nootropics to see if you get a natural brain boost. So go visit newoptimal.com, N-U-O-P-T-I-M-A-L and enter the code BRAD30 to get 30% discount when you try it. Newoptimal.com for way more details. Here we go with appearance number four, I believe. It's Dave Rossi, author of The Imperative Habit. And boy, oh boy, we get going every time. It's always wild times. And this time we focused on the topic of meditation because Dave is a huge enthusiast. He touts the life-changing benefits of meditation, and he has a thick-skulled buddy here who he's been encouraging gently and strongly for a long time, wondering why Brad Kearns is not meditating yet. Maybe I should title the show that way, Uh, but I've agreed to 
try it out. Even though I have a pretty busy life and I have my priorities and my morning exercise routine, I might have to stack it right on to that positive habit and give it a go. And he's a big fan of silent meditation. So uh, forget all the apps and the bells and whistles and the burning candles. He just wants you to quiet that mind. And when the thoughts come in, just let them pass, put them off to the side. Uh, he makes an interesting point. You're going to love this distinction between our biology and the chemical reactions that uh, create our daily behavior patterns, the uh, the pursuit of a hormonal experience, dopamine, serotonin. We're doing this, we're doing that, we're getting a workout, we're feeling wonderful afterward, we're eating a meal, the meal tastes great, we're scooping into that pint of ice cream, even though we feel guilty about it and it's not aligned with our diet, but we're getting a hormonal experience. And then he wants us to transcend into that spiritual realm where we operate our lives, not from willpower, which is that diminishing resource, but from devotion. And that, uh, that, that spiritual approach is what meditation is all about, is quieting the mind, quieting the racing thoughts. I think you're really going to get a lot out of this. Uh, we move from uh, one application to another. We talk about the popular topic of manifesting wealth and manifesting success and where uh, meditation can play a valuable role in getting your disposition right, your mindset, so that you can access these wonderful tools that have become super popular. And I think that's a really important aspect of it because so many people reject these ideas out of hand, the law of attraction that you can call in uh, the, you know, the the big house on the hill and, and the fast car and the perfect partner. But really, you have to operate from a state of gratitude for what you have and where you are now before you can access the power. And meditation is the thing that's going to take you away from from the racing thoughts and the envy and the guilt and the things that set us back are our human frailties and kind of push us into a higher realm of existence where happiness is not just a fleeting concept, but it's a daily reality. Dave Rossi, bring in that energy, bring in the heat. You're going to love it. Here we go. Thank you, Dave Rossi. The hurricane is back. One of our favorite podcast guests. I think you're you're now breaking the record with your fourth appearance, if I'm not mistaken. And boy, the 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 notepad is lengthy. We have all kinds of directions we're going to take it. And I'm just wondering how everything's going for you. And uh, glad to connect again. Well, let me just say, I want to be like Brad Kearns and break records. So if that's what we're doing, I'm I'm fulfilling my my uh, my dreams, fulfilling my wishes, and breaking records like Brad Kearns. It's all about breaking records, man. Doing something gets you going. And um, you're, we had some exchanges that were really fascinating to me. And one of them was your, your nonstop hurricane energy level. And anyone who's around you can see this, uh, you know, the motor mouth will go without interruption and the enthusiasm for all, all aspects of life. And I know this is an awakening for you. And anyone who's read your book, you know, realizes that you were in that rut uh, in your past life. And um, I'm jealous of that because I was just complaining to you before we hit record that, you know, I have some great workouts. I feel great out there. And then I crash and burn. I have three days of just exhaustion. And then I, you know, I'm coming back and I want to be a health expert and, and help motivate and inspire people to do things right. But I still identify in myself, hey, you know, there's always ways to optimize. You asked me about my sleep. My sleep is fantastic. Uh, but, you know, there could be some other areas. And one of them is that, um, that, you know, emanating that loving spirit that brings you energy 
And I think that's where we um, left off on the uh, on the, uh, the the email exchange where you said you just you know you're loving life. You, more energy comes into you even if you've had a long day. And we all can reference this because we've had a long crappy day and we sit in traffic. And then we walk into uh, the wonderful exciting uh, party gathering and we're full of energy, right? So it's not really that we're exhausted. It's just that we don't like traffic jams and busy stressful days. But we can snap our fingers and come out of it. Well, yeah. I mean, one of the things I really wanted to share with you, and it's funny that you you started talking about energy levels. Um, energy is a word that gets tossed around a lot. And I'm talking about day-to-day energy in terms of approaching your behavior and driving your car and talking to people and approaching exercise or whatever. I'm not talking about vibrational energy or spiritual energy or emotional energetic signatures. I'm talking about, hey, it's 6 a.m. and I'm ready to go and let's go and whatever. That's the kind of energy that that you're talking about. And and um God, meditation helps so much for that. And that's why I'm so surprised you're not meditating. And so I kind of wanted to share that and talk why you're not meditating and let's use energy as a motivation. That's a great, a great segue into it. Right. The um this if if we talk long enough, it could be the title of the episode. Why the heck isn't Brad <laughs> meditating? He's trying everything else. Yeah. And I think um, you know, I'm so fond of this morning routine that I talk about, and it feels like a meditative experience to me because I launch into this uh, sequence where all I'm doing is counting through the reps of the various moves. You can see it on YouTube. We'll link it in the show notes. People have heard me talk about it enough, but I'm doing 40 scissor kicks and then 20 frog legs in each direction, then 20 scissors, then I'm doing 20 mountain climbers. And I've tried before to like listen to a podcast while I'm doing my thing so I can multitask and be more productive. And what happens is I lose count, I lose focus, and then I have to start over. That's my penalty. And so I do uh, kind of have a glimpse of the the benefits and the wonders of starting your day, especially uh, first thing in the morning with something that you could, uh, you know, characterize as mindful where I'm right there just doing something. You could maybe uh, judge it as boring if you want to, but I've, I've gotten to the point now where it's such a habit that I don't judge it as hard or easy or boring or exciting. Uh, I just do it and I, I realize it gives me great benefit. And I, I, I suppose I sound like someone who uh, is enjoying meditation too, because it's kind of like the same story. <laughs> Well, I, I'm talking about silent meditation, and there are some really big differences between a guided meditation. Like an app, you mean? Yeah, there's yeah. a difference between an active meditation, like walking or gardening or surfing or bike riding or running. Th- those are a form of meditation. I'm talking about silent meditation. Now, what, what I want to explain to you when you're, what I heard you say is that your morning routine is really busy and a lot of mentation takes place during your morning routine. And that's great. Okay. But what, what, what medit- the purpose of meditation as I explain this in my class a bit is imagine if you had a boat towing a giant net and that net is capturing all kinds of information. How many reps have I done for my stretches? Am I doing my morning routine rightly correctly? What time is it? Am I going to finish my morning routine by the time I need to hop in the bike and ride or before I have my next podcast or or whatever I'm doing? And this fishing net is catching all kinds of information, stimulus, questions, busyness, right? Did I call so-and-so? 
I have enough gas in my car? How long is this going to last? Am I going to get there on time? Did I call? You, you know what I'm talking about, right? Silent meditation is basically just unplugging that fishing net. Imagine all of this wide net, this, this incredibly broad net capturing all kinds of stimulus, and you just unplug it for a little while. Imagine what that would do to your brain to say, we're just going to practice. This is the important thing. We're going to practice, 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 just like swinging a tennis racket. We're going to practice not thinking. Now, the brain is pretty wired to think. I mean, it automatically always thinks. You just can't all of a sudden not think. It will automatically think just like you automatically breathe. But just like practicing breath and practicing life, we can practice thought. We can practice eliminating thought. We can practice ignoring thought. We can practice reducing thought. And when you do that, your brain does not focus on all of the things within that fishing net any longer. The brain says, we have, we have, we have shit to do. Let's go heal. Let's go mend. Let's go be calm. Let's go connect. Let's do other things besides thinking about who to call or what to do or how, what count am I on. And that's why silent meditation is so different than a walking meditation or, or a guided meditation or even a kundalini or energy meditation. Silent meditation is an entirely different ball of wax. And you're uh, recommending that as your favorite modality, or do you like people to mix through them? Or, you know, I think I think people can do different things at different times. I think for me, I did some guided. I did some, and even listening to music would be guided. I would I would mm. guide meditation, and I would put music on, and all of a sudden, I'm thinking about a beach with a girlfriend, or a past relationship, or a friend, or a family member or some vignette and my mind begins to wander. And that's not what meditation for me is about. It's about stopping the mind from overthinking, practicing, not overthinking. And I found myself reminiscing and that really wasn't what I wanted mm. to do with that time. So I said, look, I'm going to stop with the music. I don't need to think about X, Y, and Z, whether it was a positive memory or even a, or, or a sad memory. The goal is to unplug that fishing net, unplug stimulus and let the full power of my brain work for me and heal me and focus on me, not to focus on the outside world, not to focus on who I had to call or what bill I had to pay or how much money was in my bank account or that I eat the right foods. Oh, shoot, I shouldn't have had that last night. I really, is that going to cause weight gain? That piece of cake that I had, did it have gluten in it? I don't remember if it had gluten in it. Well, it didn't have that much sugar. It was kind of an honor. <laughs> right. Right. Poor so, guy's got I, his arms crossed. <laughs> he's sitting on a cushion and he's thinking about, yeah, his right. order We want to unplug night. that. We want to stop that. We want to, and it doesn't, ha just because you try to meditate doesn't mean that that happens. Meditating is practicing that. You're practicing trying to turn off those voices. And when you turn those voices down, where you practice ignoring them and you practice letting them pass, your brain gets used to that muscle memory and your brain begins to say, oh, this is time to do nothing and not think. We're not going to think about bills or people or food or diet or how much I weigh or did I lose that half a pound or is it water weight or whatever it is. And your brain gets used to that. And that quiet moment is where all of the magic happens. That, that power of your brain working for you not the power of your brain processing the information of the world. That difference is where the power of meditation really comes into play. So we're, we understand it's difficult and can be frustrating. And the 
the recommendation is when the thought pops in about the gluten that you ordered last night, you don't judge it and let it go. Is that is that where we're is that what we're looking for? We're, we're not going to have a blank slate for twenty minutes. We know we're going to be battling against the, the busy brain, especially if we're wired to be you know frenetic pace, like like most of us are pushed into these days. Yeah. So so you know, let's use spirituality again and, and kind of bring that word back into the conversation, not from a woo-woo perspective, but bring spirituality in as a differentiation between physical and non-physical. Physical being your body, your brain, your chemicals, the hormones, the peptides, the neurotransmitters, things you can put into a jar, mm-hmm. anxiety, depression, even happiness in the form of serotonin and, and dopamine. We're talking about chemicals. And, and the non-physical side of us, the thoughts, the intuition, not the rationalization and menageries that our subconscious mind plays on us. That's body and physical and, and you know, not a spiritual event. I'm talking about the really, truly non-physical aspects or makeup of us. And, and to make this, to accent what I'm talking about, if you could just for a second say hello to yourself in your brain. Just say, hey, Brad Kearns, I need a haircut. Just say that to yourself. And you could do that, couldn't you? Sure. You could actually, yeah. And you could actually hear it. You could hear yourself say that. The non-physical aspects I'm talking about is not the person saying those words, and it's not the person listening to those words. It's the entity that's actually observing that whole process taking place. Hey, I, Brad Kearns, said this, and I, Brad Kearns, listened to this. That seat, that place of observing that you did those actions is the non-physical stuff that I'm talking about, okay? Now, when we talk about meditation, we're trying to connect to that aspect of us. We're trying to turn everything else off. We're trying to turn the mentation off. We're trying to turn the chemicals off. And that's ultimately what takes a lot, a lot of practice. And we practice that by sending thoughts down the road. So a thought pops in, we let it go. Now, for me personally, the body, the physical side, its algorithm is survival. All it wants to do is save your life. So that does not want to stop. So sometimes when you meditate, that that biology, that biological side, that subconscious mind is going to get more active. It's literally going to drive you crazy. I would get nauseous and actually get up and almost go throw up. It It was so powerful for me. What the the, um, the 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 racing thoughts you mean when you tried oh, yeah. to meditate? Is that what you're oh, saying? Yeah. yeah, yeah. So they got worse than when you were sitting on the uh, on the bench at the park, uh, not trying to meditate. Yep. But actually, kind of drifted into uh, you know you, you drifted near the goal without trying, and then you really try, and it gets frustrating. Well, yeah. Certain certain thoughts do get turned down when I meditate or when I started, and even today it happens sometimes. So. When I'm sitting at the park, I'm contemplating and I'm reflecting and maybe I'm thinking about happy thoughts and how great that meal was last night and what a great run I had or a great lift that I had. And I'm like, oh, this is so great. I'm so happy, you know, but my mind is busy and my mind is active and my, my mind is thinking. When I start to meditate, my mind begins to get more active and it's not necessarily more active because I'm, I'm thinking about fewer things. It gets more active because... I'm telling my body, the biology, the physical side to turn off and it's going to resist that off button. It's like the candles with the birthday cake. You blow them out and they keep on coming back. You blow them again, they come back. 
It's kind of like that. It just keeps on coming back. And so for me in the beginning, I would literally get nauseous. My body did not want to let go of mentation. It did not want to let go of the algorithm of survival. And that's a very spiritual thing to tell your body, we don't need to survive right now. Just stop thinking. Mm -hmm. You don't need to save me. I'm going to spend 20 minutes doing this and you're going to have to let me do this. Just let go. And it does not let go easy. What kind of uh, environment have you created for these, these, these sessions? Uh, whenever I have time environment, <laughs> I make time for oh. it. I mean, I don't know that I need anything special. You don't need anything special. Um, you know, a big, a big, you know, supporter or teacher, he's not the inventor, but Maharaji Mahesh was the spokesperson, teacher, self-proclaimed teacher of transcendental meditation. And he would say, I don't understand why people don't meditate. All you need is a chair. Yeah. That's all you need. And, and you really just need to set the time aside and a place to sit. You don't want to lie down because you're, the goal is to be active. The goal is to mm. keep your mind alert. The goal is to make your mind busy in the terms of alertness. But you want to make it alert by the active elimination of thoughts. Now, thoughts are tiring. <laughs> And so are your, your eyes half-lidded instead of closed? Uh, you're sitting in a chair or um, on a rock or um, is the, it a the certain physical time stuff, of day? See, yeah, the physical stuff is easier um, where you sit or how you sit or the time of day. I can pretty much meditate anywhere because when it's loud, I think, okay, that's just more practice of, mm-hmm. of effort to ignore those noises. The whole point is to ignore, ignore the mental noises, not the physical noises. And frankly, the mental noises are a little bit tougher to ignore, aren't they? Uh, if it's noisy, I suppose. <laughs> There's, you know, it's a busy, a busy train station. It sounds like a challenge. Well, would it be easier for you to ignore loud noises of a train or noises in your mind of your voice talking to yourself? What would be harder for you to turn down? Yeah, ignore? I think the internal voice for sure. Yeah, right. So when you're practicing turning the internal voice off. And, and I, I don't want to say turn it off because you don't turn it off. You basically learn to ignore it. You learn to send those, those thoughts down the road. And before the next thought comes is that little space of quiet, that little space of nothingness. And meditation isn't about learning how to do that. It's about learning how not to stop yourself from doing that. So we're trying to remove the things that prevent us from meditating, not actually how to meditate. That sounds like your Dave Rossi happiness advice as well. A little bit the same, yeah. I mean, things stop us from from where we kind of naturally want to go. Right, Our body stops us from mm-hmm. our diet plan. The busyness of our mind stops us from calming down. The anxiety and the fear stops us from seeing happiness. I mean, that's kind of why alcohol works, right? It, it shields the filter, filters out the things that make us unhappy. So we have these brief moments of happiness, albeit synthetic, borrowed, and not, you know, someone that has any longevity. Oh, but in that's, the case of alcohol, is that yeah, what you're talking about? Yeah, or in the case of alcohol. Or yeah. distractions, whatever, addictions, I guess. Right. right. Um, and, and music so, can do that in meditation. It can distract you. When the goal isn't to be distracted, it's to take this thought and send it down the road and just say, I'm not going to think about what I ate last night. I'm not going to think about what I have to do today. And then that little tiny space is meditation. 
that little tiny space is when your brain just goes, oh, and then a thought will come very quickly after that. Yeah. Okay, that was so cool. Oh, that was really cool. I didn't think about anything for like yeah. a second. Wow, I succeeded. Oh. Hey. Right. I'm and then you're like, awesome. well, now I'm thinking again because I'm talking about it. So wait, like, yeah. okay. Let me try it again. Let me try it again. <laughs> Guess what happens to an athlete when that when that kicks in? You know, when oh my gosh, I'm having the best golf round of my life on the 16th hole. Oh man, push that yeah. thought away, people. Or I'm doing the um the e-foil, you know, where you rise above the water on yep, the motorized yep, yep. board. And it's like oh my gosh, I'm getting it. I'm flying. And then I look down to see the speed I'm going at. And uh, that's when I wipe out spectacularly. It's like when you when you lose that uh, flow state by right. by judging it or identifying it. Yeah. Brutal, well, been, well, there's some things that talk about the average person has like 60 or 70,000 thoughts per day. Right. And um, uh, uh, Bruce Lipton says uh, uh, 98% of them are identical to yesterday and 80% of them are negative or something like that. Right. And there's some statistic that the professional athlete or the elite athlete has 7,000 or 6,000 per day. Right. You're kidding. 10 times, 10 fold less than the average Joe? Going into flow, like you talked about, into focus, into a state of focus and flow, your brain is not thinking about what you ate last night or what you're doing or who loves you or who doesn't love you or did I pay this or I didn't pay that or right. You're just kind of focused on your craft and it's very focused. That's the state of flow that a lot of psychologists talk about. And that takes practice. So you you have your meditation practice for 20 minutes or whatever. And then yeah. for the rest of your busy day, and you're a good guy to, um, as an example, because you have this you know, multifaceted, extremely challenging, um, you know, career of, uh, you know, presiding over these uh, massive projects that have many, many moving parts. And so I imagine that you're going to process a shit ton of information in the course of a single workday, but are you leveraging your meditation skills in some way when you, when the, um, when the stuff hits the fan and you start to your phone, your cell phone starts to buzz and people are in your face or whatever's going on. Well, I think for, for everybody, this statement might be true that the most critical, critical aspect of anyone's success, certainly with negotiating or sales or interaction or behavior or, or, or any professional setting, even in a, in an interpersonal setting, it's your ability to stay calm will have a huge impact on your ability to to navigate a situation, whether it's an angry spouse or a child. Boy, children are just great curriculum for this too. But if I'm practicing sending thoughts down the road and and practicing waiting for that pause before the Mm. next one comes, Mm. like swinging a tennis racket, I'm building a muscle memory of, of not reacting to thoughts. So when when my child says something or someone at work says something inflammatory or something happens, I'm pretty practiced at ignoring the first thought that comes to my mind. And I'm pretty practiced at saying, let's let this go. I mean, it just doesn't really go away. I mean, the words came out of the, out of the person's mouth and Mm -hmm. I, and I, and I can, I can practice not responding. Yeah. Because I'm practiced every single day letting thoughts pass. And because I'm practiced letting thoughts pass every single day in morning and night in meditation, I'm able to let thoughts pass during my active 
active day. Yeah. And it seems to me there's a distinction between um, not reacting, you know, you're, you're putting on a good face for the world, but then inside it's driving you crazy and all you're doing is not responding, but you're still being triggered uh, because, you know, someone said something to you that you don't appreciate or offended you or whatever. Like there's still, there's still an internal reaction and that would be a nice goal to just let everything, uh, all the water flow off your back all day long. Right. Well, okay. So I'm going to, yes, absolutely. And I'm going to give you a little bit more data with that. So there's an absolutely wonderful book called uh, Never Split the Difference by an FBI negotiator named Chris Foss. Oh, a good I, friend of mine. I talked to that guy on his podcast. It's a great book. Yeah. And, and, and Never he Split looks, the Difference, huh? Yeah. Now, a friend of mine read that book and he also read my book. And when I was reading Chris Foss's book, I thought to myself, God, what Chris Foss said is the single biggest failure to negotiating is staying calm. But his book doesn't talk about how to stay calm. So my friend who also read my book said, hey, I loved your book because it gave me seven techniques and I had to change my belief structure, how to change my paradigm to stay calm. And now that I could stay calm, I could apply a lot of Chris Foss's techniques and never split the difference. And, and the thing about meditation is it's just that vehicle that lets you practice some of the seven steps in my book or the checklist that I have, it's a vehicle of saying, hey, just like Viktor Frankl said, between stimulus and response is that small moment in time where all of our growth comes from. If you can't grab that small moment in time, you're kind of in trouble. Meditation helps you practice grabbing that small moment in time without actually reacting. So not reacting is the first step. The second step is taking that small moment in time and changing your paradigm, changing your belief structure, changing your attachment to the outcome, changing your fear for the outcome, changing your lack of acceptance of the situation that's right in front of you. So now you've grabbed that moment in time, you practice and not reacting, and now you're practicing changing your subconscious patterns, changing your paradigm, changing your beliefs, changing your intentions, checking in with your intentions. And now is this over time, not only do you have the power not to react verbally, but you also have the power not to react emotionally. Now, Eckhart Tolle talks about this in his book. Your words are the consummation of your thoughts. Hmm. So if you stop the words from coming out, you're, you're, you're killing the thought on its tracks. You're not actually consummating the thought. You still mm. have the thought, but you're, mm. not, you're not becoming vocal with it. It's the end of the thought, the, the words. It has a better chance of becoming a fleeting thought rather than an obsessive thought that's going to turn you into uh, resentful, uh, you know, uh, down into a negative spiral. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, so tell me about your experience with Chris Voss. That must have been a great... A great podcast. I think he's he's remarkable. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't remember. Uh, I think he was um, he was just talking to us about the, the two meals a day book, and yeah. I'm not sure if it was aligned with his typical podcast content. But um, well, if you get a chance, read that book. Uh, yeah. In terms of, and and you know, for me, I've read it a couple times, and the hardest thing comes down to 
ah, shoot, I wish I would have applied that technique that, that Voss talks about in his book. And then, and then you'd say to yourself, ah, oh, I wish I could have picked that up in this situation. That would have really been helpful. And you want to remember those techniques and use them. It just takes practice. And if you get swept away with emotion, if you get swept away with anger or even happiness, you get fooled by thinking something's really fantastic and that maybe it's really not. You, you lose that opportunity to seek a higher level of perspective, to you know, see things more for what they're really worth, not for how you wish to perceive them. Mm. So meditation really helps slow all that down because you're practicing slowing down mentation. So in real life, you're actually slowing down mentation to the point where you can apply choice or will, free will, or devotion, or dedication, you're able to stop that reactive behavior and then apply what you really want to apply. Hey folks, how about a non-drinker telling you what kind of alcohol you should drink? That's right, it's pseudo-sommelier Brad Kearns here to recommend dry farm wines. Why? Because if you choose to drink, I want you to be healthy and make a superior choice to the mainstream commercial wines. Listen to my podcast with Dry Farm Wines founder Todd White. The insights were astonishing, especially that most all commercial wines are loaded with dozens of chemicals that the FDA allows in your wine, but don't have to be listed on the label. And the sugar, oh my goodness, the sugar levels can be as much or more per liter than Coca-Cola, but difficult to taste due to the acidity in the wine. Dry Farm Wines is a membership club where you're shipped hand-picked wines from old-world family-run vineyards in France, Italy, Greece, and Sicily. These wines come from non-irrigated vineyards hundreds of years old that deliver a tastier, higher antioxidant grape, and they're independent lab certified to be completely free from chemical additives and naturally 100% sugar-free. That's right, the sugar was allowed to ferment out instead of be arrested by chemical intervention in the name of pleasing the average consumer palate that has a sweet tooth. The Dry Farm Wines Club has taken off like crazy because ancestral and keto enthusiasts, people who care about their health, appreciate a sugar-free wine. You'll enjoy the variety, the taste, and the pleasant sensation in the aftermath of burning through the alcohol buzz and going on with your life without a hangover. So if you care about your carb intake and your overall health, Dry Farm Wines has a special promotion for podcast listeners. Get your first bottle for a penny when you enroll at dryfarmwines.com slash brad or click on the Dry Farm Wines at the bradkerns.com shopping page. Cheers. And I guess in contrast, if we're really wrapped up in hectic pace of modern life, overstimulated, hyperconnected, um, we're simply reacting and operating from subconscious programming for most of the time, just like Bruce Lipton argues with scientific validation. Uh, all we are is like a, you know, a, a machine, um, reacting based on our, our programming. They, they, a lot of times reference the childhood programming from age zero to seven, and then right. we just set forth, uh, repeating these bad patterns, even though we don't realize it until later. So that's what I'm talking about. That's in the body. You're living the body. You're living the subconscious mind. You're living out those programs. You're, you're, you're responding to the hormone of hunger. You're responding to the hormone of sadness. You're responding to the hormone of depression or anxiety. Your body is reacting. And it's only reacting because your brain is sensing a stimulus 
and comparing that stimulus to the programming that Lipton's talking about, and then the brain produces that, that chemical, okay? Now, the point is to get off that train, to get off that pattern, to stop that, just to stop it cold in its tracks. And the thing about, you know, I'm going to tie back to meditation again, from a physiological standpoint, you're getting off of the sympathetic nervous system and you're getting onto the parasympathetic nervous system. When you unplug your brain, when you practice unplugging your brain, you're turning off all that mentation. You're saying, stop stress, stop anxiety, stop depression, stop worry, stop doubt, stop low self-esteem. Let's just turn all of that off. Let's practice turning that off every day, 20 minutes a day, hopefully twice a day, but at least once. Mm -hmm. Turn it off, turn it off, turn it off. And you're going to slowly shift your body to the parasympathetic nervous system, and you're not going to feel anxiety anymore because you're actually not mentating. It doesn't mean that the factors that are creating anxiety have gone away. It means you're just not processing that information at that time. You're practicing not processing mm. the information that makes you feel anxious. And may that chance arise later in the day to, to put it into practice when you're hit in the face with the interaction with your boss that, that leaves you anxious usually or whatever the example is. Yeah, you, you have practice in saying, I don't need to react to this right now. And this is making me feel anxious, but I'm kind of practiced at ignoring that. I'm just going to practice ignoring that right now. And I've been taught to let things unfold. Let's see what unfolds in the next hour or the next day and see what really comes of this. Maybe I misread the situation. Maybe I misunderstood the situation. Maybe they're right and I really mm. did screw up and I, I got to... I take that as really helpful, constructive criticism, you know, but it's uh, not emotional anymore. It's not charged. It's not yeah. something that throws you into your sympathetic nervous system and creates lots of stress and lots of cortisol and all kinds of harmful things. It's not something that then makes you say, ah, fuck it. I want to go have that donut that I've been wanting to eat for the past week because it tastes awesome. And now I'm stressed. And I was told I did this poorly or I made a mistake. So I'm going to go eat that donut. You know what I mean? You, you, you're, you're able to control those types of landslide situations. <laughs> so I know you're, um, you're, uh, you, you're, you're, you're progressing along the, the path to the, the secret to weight loss in a different direction than most people <laughs> who are obsessed with the macronutrients and pricking your finger for your finger for your blood ketone values. So how does the, um, how does the practice of meditation kind of connect to being aligned with goals like uh, cleaning up your diet and, and staying on the path for long periods of time and, and things like that when, when life gets in the way? Well, I think lots of ways. I think all diets um, succeed and fail for the same reason, uh, which is your ability <laughs> to follow them or not follow them. <laughs> um, and I think when you follow a diet, uh, religiously or from a devoted standpoint, it becomes a lifestyle, not a diet. Mm -hmm. And so your ability to make those choices, to make any choice, the most important choice isn't whether I should eat this or eat that. If you, if you resist something, you're going to want more of it. So now you're engaging willpower. So we want to engage devotion, not willpower. Because uh, willpower is known to be 
diminishing, fragile resource. Well, to me, willpower is you fighting something that you you kind of want. Right. And you, you do that 73 times every day. And then right. on the 74th time, it's 9.30 p.m. and you go for Ben and Jerry's because you've exhausted that resource. Right. And if I want something, then it doesn't take willpower to get what you want. How's that? Any, well, if I want to live a healthy lifestyle and that's what I want, it doesn't take any willpower to get what I to, to to make the choice of something that I naturally want. It doesn't take any willpower to want to, to eat a donut if you want it. If you want to eat a donut, it doesn't take any willpower to, to eat it. Mm-hmm. It takes willpower not to eat it. Right. So, right. The things you want don't require willpower. Right. They require I'm on, devotion. Right. I'm on, I'm on hour 19 of my fast today. Um, wow. And that's a choice. It's a choice to fast. With devotion. With devotion. You passed and up I some donuts. That. Right. And so if I say to myself, do I want to eat this or do I not? By all the, the biology of me will always choose the easy path. Mm. Your body has an algorithm to survive. And that includes food. And that includes feeling loved. And that includes all kinds of things, very complicated things of what your body thinks is matches that algorithm of survival. So if I ask my question, if I want, if I ask myself the question, do I want to be fit? It's a different question than do I want to eat a donut? My body will always want to eat something that tastes really awesome because it releases serotonin and dopamine is always reward centers. And it's very easy to do that. It's a little bit more difficult to break the drive of the body to break the drive of survival. Jumping in a cold tub, you, you know what this is like. It's a very spiritual event. I'm going to do something my body does not want to do, and it's incredibly therapeutic, has all kinds of medical benefits, but you're gonna have to deal with some pain. Not gonna hurt you, it's gonna help you, but that's something your body does not wanna do, and yet you do it every single morning. Mm. Right, you're, you're exercising devotion. Right, and then when you practice, I call it the, the uh, I choose muscle. You're practicing, you're developing your I choose muscle. I choose to jump in cold water. I choose to fast. I choose not to eat this. I choose to eat this. I have the power to make choices over the biological urges of my body. I have the power to choose not to react to stress or anxiety or sadness. I I can have these emotions. We all do. I do. But it's what I do with them that makes a difference in my life. Not that right. I should come to them. We could be, um, you know, uh, lowly, lowly evolved creatures, like, like, you know, our friends in the animal kingdom, and just go uh, operate according to our instincts at all times. Right. And, and uh, basically uh, binge watch uh, uh, digital entertainment, eat whatever we want, um, you yeah. know, spiral downward into um, crazy stuff, uh, addict- addictive behaviors and right. things that are self-destructive uh, over the long term, but provide instant gratification all well, it's the like way that, through. Yeah, it's like that that study with the, the two marshmallow study. Have you heard that study? Yeah, the kids. Yeah. The kids, yeah. Right. So you're delaying gratification, which your body wants. The, 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 the ability to have choice, the, the ability to have power to make choice over biological urges, strong biological urges, right? Having that power to make choices 
offers so much success. And, and the kind of choices that I think you need to start with are the things in my book, the choice about acceptance and not fear in the outcome and stress. And the one of the biggest things to choose is how you view yourself. That's a choice. In fact, well, let's talk about a bigger choice. I'm just thinking off the top of my head. The, to me, the biggest choice to make is what you believe. The biggest choice you need to actually have some authority over is what you believe. Because mm-hmm. everything programmed that Lipton talks about, you didn't choose that. It's just programmed in your head. Mm-hmm. Your daughter's programmed because of what she observed from zero to seven. You can't control what she observed. There's no spam filter. It got filled. You can't control what she observed or what she didn't observe. She did. And in my book, I reference, if you were raised in a red room, you might love red. Or if you're raised in a red room, you might hate red. The point is a red room is going to affect your programming. We don't know why you love it or why some people hate it. The point is it's just going to affect you. And choosing what you believe in making a choice in what you believe is probably one of the most powerful choices you can make because that's the beginning of changing your programming. It's the beginning in changing your patterns and meditation is one of those things that gives you that first step in, in pausing and just practicing how to pause. Uh, and then getting good at uh, questioning your beliefs, because we form these fixed and rigid beliefs in all different areas. And uh, in the in the health and, and wellness scene, we have factions and we have disputed science and, and things that get people yeah. really riled up. And um, I reference this emergence of the carnivore diet movement as, a, as an exercise for me in, in challenging my fixed and rigid beliefs and being open-minded and thinking critically to new information because, uh, you know, just when we think we, we have all the answers and all the, all the solutions, um, we, we're, you know, we're exposed to um, more information. And uh, apparently, I think Mark Manson references this uh, research that we're you know, consumed for the, our entire lives with seeking out confirmation bias to make sure that our beliefs are, uh, you know, locked in, whether it's our politics or our uh, opinions about how to exercise or how to eat. And that's where I think we could, um, we could a, that's run a survival into trouble. Instinct. That's a survival instinct, isn't it? Yeah, sure. Yeah. I mean, it's a survival instinct to know that what I'm thinking is supported by other people because what would it be like if I was all by myself alone with this thought and no no one supported it? It would feel remarkably vulnerable, which is a very vi- very biological trait to be vulnerable. Um, that vulnerability stems from the algorithm of your body trying to drive for survival. It feels weak. Even though it takes strength to be vulnerable, it feels exposed. And nobody wants to feel that way biologically spiritually you don't care about it you're like oh it's okay i could be alone i could you know i'm not i'm not a slave to my hormones or my thoughts i can choose can choose what i believe and frankly we should choose things that work for us like i think the placebo effect is such an underrated effect in weight loss and diet that Mm. your carnivore diet works for you because you think it does Mm -hmm. it's a huge i mean the, the physiological studies on one diet or another or one type of food intake in another is vastly different. And, and I think people are, are underestimated that these studies are done with people who are highly stressed and their bodies are under attack from cortisol and insulin from stress. Yeah, mental, the average person, in other words. Right. The mental yeah. chemical production of stress is way more harmful than what you're going to eat. I mean, granted, you're not eating really, really bad food, but you know, 
I mean, that's a killer is that stress hormone and the insulin release. Everyone said, no, you, you don't have a fat problem. You have an insulin problem because you eat too many carbs. Well, stress, stress is good. You could fast and still gain weight if you're always stressed. Mm-hmm. Your body is still going to say store fat with, mm-hmm. with the chemicals. And I think the second thing is the placebo. So one diet works for one, one person and it doesn't for another. So, you know, find what works for you and, and stick with it. But, but rearrange your choices around what works for you and rearrange your choices around what you want to believe in, that you're choosing to believe. That's a pretty wide category there, choosing what you believe. Right. You can uh, kind of um, go envision the life of your dreams and, and, and go, go make it happen. But you have to believe it. I mean, Lipton talks about this in his book. You, the brain can actually alter DNA. And there are a lot of people that you say, oh, it's just in my DNA, I'm big boned, or it's just in my DNA, I'm born heavy, or it's just in my DNA. Well, actually, actually not. I mean, does it need to, that's a belief. You're believing that mm. your DNA is holding you back from something. Mm-hmm. And, and a lot of people have proved through anecdotal experiences, certainly Joe Dispenza and what he's done with his body and, and his, his spine injury, you know, and what Lipton's done with his study, if you believe that you can't do it, if you believe this is your body type, then then it's going to be your body type. Yeah, it's difficult to um, to, to buy in sometimes. Um, you know, Deepak talks about this, about how we make a new stomach lining every six weeks and we make new lungs every six months and a new skeleton every 12 months. And so if you have this old knee injury from high school football, when you were a superstar down in the Bay Area and your knee still hurts to this day uh, because they botched the surgery or whatever, um, and, and Deepak says, it's just the memory of the injury and the bad surgery rather than um, your, your bone on bone and your x-ray shows that your meniscus is all frayed. And so that part, um, you know, I'm, I'm always trying to balance the, um, you know, the manifesting message with, uh, with the reality. Well, reality is again, your choice of beliefs, right? I mean, I, and again, I'm, I'm not a superhero. I, I don't want to say that I am. And, and I went backpacking this last weekend and I have a torn ACL. It was never reconstructed. I have a meniscus that's been taken out. I do have two slip discs in my back, which I was supposed to have surgery in 2016, mm. uh, L5, S1, and L4, L5. Um, I had surgery scheduled February. I had it. Um, I had the epidural shot to be able to walk. And this last weekend, I had a 50-pound backpack and, and hiked uh, 2,000 feet, a five-mile hike each way. And my dad, who's 78, get a little tired. I picked up his pack and put it on my pack and he had about a 40 pound pack. So I carried 90 pounds the last two miles with a torn ACL and torn meniscus and two slip discs and never felt it. It was a something that I had to do. And it was my belief that I could handle it that enabled me to handle it. I mean, I don't have to tell you. It's a belief. It really is. I don't know. I mean, I, I mean, I'm not Brad Kearns and, and setting records with high jump, but, but it's true. I mean, you really can't imagine whatever you want and, and you can achieve it. Everyone's talking about this. It's just to the degree that you choose to believe it. And it, it doesn't mean if you don't, if you say, oh, I believe it, you know, the fake it until you make it that what's his face said, mm. um, 
I say believe it until you believe it. Your subconscious mind mm -hmm. has to believe it until your conscious mind tells you it enough. It's called the illusory effect. If you tell yourself something enough times, you will actually begin to believe it. Your subconscious has to come along for the ride. And if it's always naysaying consciously, then your subconscious is going to naysay as well. And in, in ways that you don't even realize, right? When you're... Well, yeah. You're talking about the, I think this, uh, this idea of uh, manifesting and, and turning your beliefs into reality is uh, a lot of times pointed at wealth manifestation and, and, you know, living the life of your dreams that involves Lamborghinis and uh, beautiful homes up on the hill. And I think most people check out, uh, check off that train uh, somewhere early on because it seems so ridiculous and thereby once they've departed that train they're 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 not going to um they're they're not going to be leading there but um I'd like to dig into that a little deeper cuz um the way you express yourself on these matters it really it really makes a lot of sense and um uh, well I mean know. I I'm just expressing years of heavy reading from lots of people that I that I cross reference against each other and also really heavy personal anecdotes that I've experienced and I'm not coming to you as someone that's that's regurgitating other people's stuff, but I do. But I've actually experienced a lot of these things mm -hmm. in my own life in terms of I believe that my knee can handle that type of backpacking situation. Mm -hmm. I just can't. I just I just believe it. I mean, it's, it's it's what I needed to do. And I think when you manifest, if you're manifesting, you know, a Lamborghini or a big house on the hill. You're kind of manifesting your biology to, to survive again, and and manifesting doesn't really care what it is. It doesn't it doesn't you're deviating from the greatest good when you want yourself to have a Ferrari, and when you're wishing that upon yourself, then you've missed the whole point, because that's kind of it. Kind of has to be the afterthought. It kind of has to be the reward of what you've accomplished when you manifest, mm -hmm. and you know. Manifesting is about, there's an author called Neville Goddard. I'm not sure if you've heard of Neville Goddard. He's written a lot of books and he's someone that Wayne Dyer talks a lot about. And he coined this phrase, living the wish fulfilled. So if you, if you talk to, to, to Lipton and a lot of other people about even, you know, David Hawkins and, you know, the power, um, all of his books, the eye, the eye of the eye, power versus force. Emotions have an energetic signature. Now we're changing from energy of moving around every day and having tons of energy with working out and, and relationships. We're, we're talking about vibrational energy. Okay. And I want to separate vibrational energy of your composition from the type of energy that an emotion has. Although they're kind of similar, if you're in a meeting and someone walks in with really negative energy, you can sense that. Mm -hmm. Also, if somebody is a pretty positive person, but they're upset and they walk in with feeling upset, you can feel that too. Emotions have an energetic signature. Emotions vibrate at a certain level. And one of the highest vibrating emotions is love. It's the highest. And that's also a very misunderstood word, love, because people think about girlfriends at, at puberty or boyfriends that they had or love lost or love gained, and they think about love in terms of somebody else. They think about love with sex. They think about love with making me feel good, which is back to biology again. It's back mm. to serotonin and dopamine. We're talking about love being a non-physical, connective um, attitude or state of being 
not an emotion that's created from oxytocin or serotonin or dopamine, because those are back to body again. We're talking about spirituality. We're talking about non-physical. Love as an emotion and love as a state of being vibrate very high. It's, a, it's an open-mindedness. It's a giving. It's a humility. It's a gratitude. It's, it's, it's kind of what binds it all together. And those energetic signatures along the scale from, from disappointment or anger or sadness to love if you emanate, I don't have the Lamborghini, that's an energetic signature. So you can't manifest, I want it. You have to manifest that you have it. And that's hard to do. It's hard to do if you can't control your thoughts. Yeah, here's what you wrote. If you form negative associations to money, like greed, anxiety, rebellion, guilt, and you're, then you're cut off from the force, you can't manifest things if you're unhappy or currently stressed. And um, yeah. Luke's story, the Lifestyleist podcast, he, we had a great interview and he said that the, the part people don't get is that um, you have to be in a state of gratitude right now for wherever you are in life in order to manifest more. But if you're driving past, you know, your neighborhood into the, the high rent district and, and feeling jealous and envious and making pot shots, and I think we have to watch our are uh, verbal very carefully on these matters because uh, we we manifest these statements really easily and we go through the day making um, self-deprecating comments or you know spiteful uh, critical comments about whatever it is especially maybe uh, um, you know resentful of the you know disparity of wealth in in developed nations these days or whatever your whatever your game is and so you're immediately cut off and that that makes a lot of sense that if you're not in a state of gratitude now you can um you know change the channel and uh, you know try to go uh, smile at the sun and be happy to be alive absolutely yeah um if you are negative <laughs> And negative about yourself. Mm -hmm. If you look at yourself as a state of low self-esteem or low worth. Um, see, the reason why desire becomes a fear is that you think you need something to be whole. Mm. Or you think you need something to be happy. Or you think you need something to be grateful for. When, when that is ultimately the energetic signature of fear. So how do you desire something without, quote, desiring something? <laughs> well, that's a little bit different, and that's a little bit tricky, and that takes some time to develop. And, you know, living the wish fulfilled, you kind of have to put it in check. You kind of have to ask yourself, what's the intention behind why I want this? If the intention is because I want to have a big house in the hill because I'll feel whole or I'll, or I'll feel important or people will love me, and when people love me, I'll feel good about myself, that's a difficult threshold across to get that you know what i mean and even if you get it you might still be miserable yeah might carry and your problems with you to the big house right and and what you said luke said which is gratitude is such a great practice because there's lots and lots of detail behind that and we, we may not have enough time to go into all of the detail about gratitude because it really is a spiritual practice you're breaking from the biology being jealous is natural to an animal. Mm -hmm. Being jealous is they have that carcass and I want that carcass to eat. They have that shade. I want that shade to survive better and stay cool. 
it's natural for animals to compete. And in fact, even within their own pod, gorillas have, you know, a, a social order. The big guy who's ruling the, the pod or the group gets to say, this is how we travel and this is what we do. If not, he's going to go kick your ass. That behavior is modeled from the survival of the fittest. And so when you're practicing gratitude, it goes against biology. Mm. Mm. And so what do we call it when we evolve out of our animalistic state? It's called being civilized. <laughs> and when we keep going that direction, it's called spirituality. Spirituality is just a more advanced word for being civilized. We're, we're, we're working farther, more and more away from the animal, away from what animals do, which is fight, and they're jealous, and they're competitive, and they're judging, right. to... I'm happy they have that carcass. I'm sure mine will come. I'm happy that they have that shade. I'm sure they might share it, right? Because we don't need shade anymore. We don't need the carcass. There's like, everything's available to us. We, we, oh, we, we still have that animal side to us that we need to break free from. And gratitude is a wonderful practice to do that. Yeah, I guess logistically it could get difficult because we're so buried in noise and and um, and stress and uh, you know consumerism and uh, peer influences and I know just quickly back to your story where you were the guy who was <laughs> with with the bigger face in the in the uh, in the portraits like who's that guy <laughs> uh, so you know you you lost your health and you were even though you had uh, material success you weren't in a position to be gratitude, be grateful. And, uh, you know, we're kind of, uh, kind of in that rut. And so I yeah. guess, yeah. Tell me about that. I mean, I was insanely jealous of people that were more successful than me. And I was yeah, insanely boy, jealous of people from... that could, could, it could be in better shape than I was or lose weight. Um, yeah. and it was incredibly painful to feel like I didn't have any control over that. And then when I let go of that is when I actually gained control, I would, I remember just crying, saying, I just have no control. I can't lose weight. I can't do this and I can't do that. And I should have these things. And I don't. And when I stopped having those things is when I got those things. So you, I just you, see like some disbelief. You let go of the <laughs> uh, you I, let I go let, of the frustration. Right. I let go you, of the right. You woke up the next day and, and then you said, What are you gonna choose to eat? Uh, not burdened by that negativity that you're such a failed dieter? Is that what you're trying to say? Well, I let go of the fact that being thin was important. Ugh. I let go of the fact that money would make me happy. I let go of the fact that it mattered how people looked at me. Because when I let go of how people looked at me, I changed how I looked at myself. And instead of comparing myself to my own programming, I began to stop that. I began to not derive any value from how people viewed me or how I viewed myself and just let that go. I mean, it's kind of like Mark Manson's title, The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck, right? Uh -huh. And it's, it's more than that. It's a currency that, that animals exchange to survive. It's that I don't want to be alone syndrome. I don't want to be the only one having this thought or the only one on this diet. Or I find a lot of strength in, in the majority believing that this works, right? You know, when we let go of that currency, we're letting go of the body. 
we're letting go of the ego, we're letting go of those drivers, and we're choosing a different path. We're not, our self-worth isn't going up or down based on what others think of us. Mm. And also, it's not going up or down based on what I think of myself. I don't think Mm -hmm. of myself as anything. Mm -hmm. And that's an important place to get to. And you said something about being stressed and how, how do we do this when we're so stressed? Well, that's kind of where meditation comes in is that it's at least 20 minutes of not being stressed. Mm-hmm. All the factors in your life still exist when you take, you know, cocaine and you don't <laughs> feel it at that moment, right? Yeah. You're like, ah, oh, this is so great. I feel so happy. Yeah. Right. All the factors still exist. <laughs> and the thing with that is that's fully chemical. It doesn't provide any value. It provides no longevity. It absolutely destroys so many aspects spiritually and and physically. But meditation is exactly the same thing. You depart from your problems. It doesn't mean the problems go away. It means you practice departing from them so you're better able to handle them. You're better able to work through them. You're better able to get help and be vulnerable and find ways out and find new avenues and read and learn and grow and interact and ask for help. There's so many benefits that come from being able to process that information. Tell us about your course, how that works. So I, I think for a lot of people, meditation was incredible, is incredibly confusing. I did. Um, I didn't know the difference between a silent meditation and a guided meditation. I spent a thousand dollars on a class. It didn't really teach me. Mm. Um, so I thought people have the same problems. And I think People don't know, people come to me and say, oh, I can't meditate, my mind gets busy. Well, that means you need it. And that also means it's working. So I developed a course, it's kind of a how-to, it's 14 days, which is like the popular, hey, 14-day challenge. It's not a challenge, it's 14 days and every day is a 10-minute lesson. Mm. It says, when you close your eyes, this is what you wanna do. This is how you wanna sit. This is what you wanna do. This is how you wanna set it up. This is what environment you wanna be in which basically means you don't want to be all riled up and right after a fight. You you want to already kind of be in a calmer state. You don't want to be agitated and you know your adrenal glands are going off and then you're going to say, I'm going to meditate now. It's not used to calm yourself down. It's used to practice mm. breaking mentation. Mm-hmm. So the class just says, look, this is what you do. This is what's going to happen. This is what you're going to think about. This is how you're going to get over that. This is how you're going to maintain your practice. This is what's normal. Here are some tips on how to get through it. Here are some expectations to have. And if you do this for six months, you'll literally change the composition of your brain. It's, mm. it's been clinically studied right. about what happens to your brain when you meditate. Maybe you'll have a longer attention span, which is one of my concerns about modern life. Having lived half my life without the hyperconnectivity and the mobile device, it feels like we're all at, at shortened attention span and everything uh, we go through our day with conversation and our own thoughts and our brain, uh, yeah. you know, racing at the highest speed in the history of humanity. Well, it's funny is, is that I, I always tell people the most important meditation is the one that you do when you don't want to do it. Because again, you're forcing yourself to break the stress mold. And so morning meditation is very difficult for me. I'm a, I'm a go-getter. I wake up early. I have lots to do. I got phone calls to make. I have lists in my head of things to do. And I wake up and I'm ready to go. And I say, stop, stop, mm-hmm. stop, stop. Everything takes a break. Nothing's going to fall apart in 20 minutes. I'm going to show what power I have over my life. And I'm going to meditate right now. Mm. And, and I do it at night. The night's a little bit tougher for me because I'm a little stressed out and a lot more processing in my day. 
at night. So the, the night meditations are actually harder to do the meditation, easier to start, harder to facilitate. The morning is the exact opposite. It's really hard to break the day and stop, but the meditation itself is, is actually very easy. Yeah, your brain's refreshed, I guess. Right, from sleep, exactly, yeah. Um, so we go to DaveRossi.com to enroll in the course. Yeah, DaveRossiGlobal.com. You can sign up online. It's a very easy delivery system. There are 14 days between five minutes to 10 minutes of, of lecture. There's some homework. We call it you know value-added exercises, but it's a little bit of homework. And then there's uh, uh, seven audios that when you're ready to meditate, mm. you listen to those audios. There's lots of pauses. It kind of talks you through it. It kind of reminds you what you're supposed to do. And when you want to meditate, you play those. It's a little bit of soft music, but a lot of silence. We're trying mm. to work up to a 20-minute silent meditation mm. without getting up and vomiting like I used to almost do. Wow. Yeah. Love it's it. It's not easy to do. It takes time. Yeah. Good stuff, man. Great so when are you going to, when are you start, when are you starting? I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it just to honor my, my, my podcast interview here <laughs> and your, your constant, um, uh, reminders and encouragement. I super appreciate it. Maybe I'll have to stack it with my morning routine. It's already so long. It's like, what's well, another 20 minutes. If I have a choice between exercise or meditation, I'll pick, I'll pick meditation first. Wow. Absolutely. Yeah. And, I, I also, and I'm into fitness. Yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm echoing um, Deepak Chopra's comment about his daily meditation, which he starts at 4 a.m. and he, he goes to 6 a.m. every day. And I, I believe he was asked on the interview I heard, it might have been on Mind, Body, Green podcast. And the guy said, you know, what about, <laughs> what about don't you need more sleep? And he said that the, the meditation is more restful than two additional hours of sleep. And so he's a more rested human because he wakes up at 4 a.m., and, and continues till 6 a.m. And I'm like, that's badass level level 79. And um, I can't even imagine that concept, but it's so awesome uh, coming from him. He knows what he's talking about. So, you know, who knows? Maybe someday I'll be that guy before the sunrise, uh, taking the first two hours of the day to, to increase my energy vis-a-vis laying in bed, uh, you know, listening yeah. to my ocean sounds. Well, he had the benefit of Maharaji Mahesh actually teaching him meditation. I mean, he was he was well known enough, Deepak, to actually have Maharaji teach him. Mm. Um, there's a lot of science behind that. I mean, I, I think he's right that you do get a lot of energy and a lot of rest through meditation. Yeah, I mean, um, your brain is a lot of mentation is very taxing and very tiring. And I think mm. meditation would do wonders for you. I think it would actually mm. change so much of what you're doing. And it would, mm. and I think you have so many great lessons in your podcast. Like I'm stunned at how much one can learn on your podcast. And what's stopping anyone from applying those is their ability to make the choices to follow the advice that people mm. are giving them. Yeah. You can't follow the advice, you can't follow the diet. If you can't eat keto, if you can't stay away from carbs, if you can't stop eating sugar or drinking alcohol, you're, you're, you're going to have a hard time <laughs> meeting some of this, this advice, this wonderful life that creates so much value. Right. And meditation really is that start, that start to, to strengthen your I choose muscle. And, and I'm a big supporter of that. 
The I Choose Muscle. Yes. All right. <laughs> That's Dave Rossi, everybody. Send us your comments, podcast at bradventures.com. Dave and I will talk it over and we'll we'll tee them up for show number five. It, it's it's always fun times. Keep doing what you're doing. And everyone, go to Dave Rossi Global and, and sign up for the course. Let's let's do this already. It's time. It's time. It's time dun, for dun, 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 dun. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the show. I love sharing the experience with you and greatly appreciate your support. Please email podcast at bradventures.com with feedback, suggestions, and questions for the Q&A shows. Subscribe to our email list at bradkearns.com for a weekly blast about the published episodes and a wonderful bi-monthly newsletter edition with informative articles and practical tips for all aspects of healthy living. You can also download several awesome free ebooks when you subscribe to the email list. And if you could go to the trouble to leave a five or five-star review with Apple Podcasts or wherever else you listen to the shows, that would be super incredibly awesome. It helps raise the profile of the BRAD podcast and attract new listeners. And did you know that you can share a show with a friend or loved one by just hitting a few buttons in your player and firing off a text message? My awesome podcast player called Overcast allows you to actually record a soundbite excerpt from the episode you're listening to and fire it off with a quick text message. Thank you so much for spreading the word. And remember, be rad.